Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hey friends, welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. Super excited today about our guest. This guy has really uh, kind of spoken my love language over the last several years. I've gotten to be familiar with content and his heart and books. Uh, he is one of the most real honest, raw guys, which with what I do for my uh, day job with the gathering in the Miami Valley, he is good for my soul. So um, Brian Hansen from Jupiter, Florida. Welcome. Hello. Thanks, man. It's so great to talk to you. You too. Please tell me it's not a gorgeous, beautiful day in Florida. As oh, no, we... it's horrible. Dude, it's freezing down here on the beach. 50, uh, no, how, what's the temperature? Okay, it's 78 in huh. sunshine, but at any moment, a coconut could fall. And those actually, <laughs> if it did hit you in the head, that hurts. So Wow. So we better pray yeah. that you stay away from some coconuts, right? Yeah. We have stresses here as well. So thanks for keeping us in your prayers. Well, I got a mile from the station here and the snow started coming. I'm like, I didn't even know we were getting snow today. What's going on with this? So, well, somebody's got to suffer for Jesus in Jupiter, Florida. So I guess we'll let it be you, right? Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Well, Brant, let's start off. It's always good to start off and hear someone's testimony. So tell us about Brant Hansen, pre-Jesus, coming to Jesus and the like. Oh, man, I kind of have a weird, well, maybe it's not that weird. I don't know. Um, but my dad was a pastor in uh, little churches in Illinois and Indiana, and we moved around all the time. And it wasn't a good scene. And my dad's battled a lot of emotional issues over time, and he was in and out of some in institutional settings and still a pastor. They got divorced when I was in middle school, remarried again and then divorced again. So I went through a couple of those things and I pretty, pretty beat up, honestly, in the, in the church environment wasn't always good, but I, it's really weird. I tried to explain it. I I'm an extremely skeptical person, extremely skeptical. Like I I've done mainstream talk radio, for instance, and as a host and I'm this believer, right? I'm this Christian, but I'll, I'll talk to people who are atheists or, Secular Humanist Association, or the, the editor of Skeptic Magazine. I interviewed him several times, and we struck up a friendship. So he's this atheist, and he literally said, "Brant, you're more skeptical than I am." He was the editor of Skeptic Magazine, and so what happened was, I kind of got chased back around to Jesus. He's the only person that makes any sense to me, and I, I really mean that. Uh, ultimately, he makes sense because he calls out the fact that none of us humans are good. And that we're all just kind of these self-righteous machines. And I, but I see that in humanity. I've seen sin for real. And I don't think it's a pretend construct. I think sin is a real thing. I think everybody actually knows that deep down, whether they want to admit it or not. And Jesus is the only one who acknowledges it honestly and then does something about it. Like, I, I don't know of a, there's no better alternative to me. So Jesus himself is very attractive to me as a personality. Like, if, if that's God and I believe it is, that's amazing news. So 
my skepticism or my hurt about the way I've grown up or what I've gone through in religious settings and whatnot actually has chased me back around to going, you know what? Jesus called all this out. <laughs> so uh, he's very compelling to me and, and the alternatives to me were not good. So I, I've had to go through that. I became a believer, you know, really early on because of the setting I was in just as a kid, but it was later as a teenager in college and young adulthood where I've had to grapple with a lot of this stuff. Wow. That's, you know, I'm curious as you share that, I love kind of that language. It's kind of like him or what else? The alternative is nothing. I've really come to believe in the last couple of years that, you know, we talk a lot and why people are afraid to evangelize, why people don't share their faith, fear of rejection, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things I've come to realize, and I'd love to know what you think of this, I don't think anybody truly ever rejects Jesus. I think they reject what they perceive. I think they reject a lie they've bought into. I think they reject, you know, the message I watched that you have on YouTube and you talked about these eight things that maybe you taught kids in youth ministry days wrong right. and you want to go back and fix it. I think yeah. they reject what they hear and have perceived that's wrong about Jesus. I don't think anybody ever really rejects Jesus. What do you well, think about that? I love what you're saying. I, I might tweak it a little bit if I were saying it to, I do, I do think there are a few people who just walk away sad from Jesus. Like, he asked too much. too much. Like he, he goes after your, your idol, right? So if it's politics, for instance, and you have to set that aside in order to follow Jesus, like he, he pinpoints that, um, you might just go, no, I'm sticking with this. Or if it's, I mean, that's what we do with addictions. Like we can, we can just follow our feelings or follow our desires and, and walk away from something we know is life-giving, but people do that. But I, I know what you're saying, and I agree. I really agree with the spirit of it, which is they see this cartoon version that we've put up. Honestly, a lot of us, or they've seen a cartoon version of of what who Jesus is, or what what a relationship with God looks like, and they are very astute in some ways to reject that because that's not actually the God that exists and is pursuing them. So I love what you're saying. Well, and don't you think it's kind of like, was it C.S. Lewis that had this famous quote about, we so easily settle for like this, you know, we're promised this buffet at the sea and we so easily settle for, you know, like mud pies or whatever. And I just think that's yep. it. We miss, here's what he really offers as far as blessings, as far as promises, as far as life. And, and then him, forget all the stuff he's going to offer us. We miss him. Yes. And I think that's an exciting thing to realize because I do think what you're getting at too, among the other many things, but the kingdom is actually really attractive. It's really beautiful. Like that, that buffet by the sea, that party, that peace, that lack of anxiety, that joyfulness, that sense of uh, well-being that can exist in any circumstance. Like when people actually encounter that, it's very attractive. And to the extent that I've grown up and started to live more that way, it's, it's wild how non-believers actually want to hang out with me mm. and they know where I say I'm open about everything. But the fact is it's also, it's also fun. And you, you find ways to, uh, to pursue Jesus and, and people go, wait a second, that actually gives me goosebumps when I saw it, when, when that happened, like that, they, they recognize there's something really, really good and beautiful about it. Mm. Amen. That's great. So let me, let me throw a few things at you and see what sticks. So I was thinking 
I love talking to people about their career and what they do and maybe some career highs, career lows. You've obviously done radio for a long time. I think it's easy to say based on your books that you've had. You've had four out. Is that right? I've got three out and I just finished my fourth, fourth manuscript. So that'll be out next year. So you obviously seem to have something that's going to stick. So I can't imagine more books are not to come. So when you think about radio and then you look at books and writing, you know, meshing those two worlds, what gets you more excited? Where are you equally excited about both? And then because you remind me a little bit of Bob Goff, take that Mm. for what that's worth. Um, Mm -hmm. What is, what is in your life? What is a good day at the end of the day when you look back over your day and say, wow, that was good. This was a well done, good job kind of day. What does that look like? I can answer that. I love that. I, I got to tell you the funny thing, and I, I appreciate that being compared to Bob Goff. I don't know what his natural instinctual self is like, but I'm very dark. Like if I weren't a believer in Jesus, I would be, you know, on the left bank in Paris in the coffee shops being an existentialist or something. And, you know, just being extremely dark, fatalistic, kind of like Nietzsche or something, not, not as smart, like a, like a dumber Nietzsche. Um, so that would be me. But at this point in my life, I think this is because I, I know it's because of God, the ideal day. And a lot of them are pretty ideal is I get to hang out with my wife and laugh. I hang out with Sherry, my producer, when I'm doing my job and I get to talk about Jesus and I laugh till my stomach hurts. And then some friends come over and we get to relax. Maybe I get to play guitar and there's much laughter. And then I get to hang out with my wife some more. Mm. I mean, I am so thankful. I have a very sunny life right now and a lot of humor in it. It's just funny. Like I, I, I know that's because of God. Otherwise I would be a completely different person. I like to play. I like to goof off and laugh. So in that sense, I think I've, I've, I've mutated into Bob Goff. <laughs> <laughs> would he claim that? Or is that just you claiming that? No, I only met him once briefly. He, he saw me speak at a thing and he was so nice. He didn't even tell me who he was, and I, but I knew. And he came up and just really said some super nice, encouraging things. And I thought, that's so cool. Thank you. Yeah. He's a wild man. I've met him twice. And so I lead, you know, the gathering, the ministry I do, we have uh, 26 small groups that meet around our area. And we three times have tried to call him to be a part of our, our conversation with a book. He's answered mm-hmm. twice. So he's been a part of the conversation two That's different awesome. times. And that, he is who he says he is. And he's a wild man. Yeah. And I, I've always wondered with him, like, what's it like going to lunch with him? Because if he's as available to people as you think, he'd have to drive you nuts at lunch. Like, will you put your phone away and quit answering phone calls? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a very introverted person, but I do, I do think over time, like, the Holy spirit will work in your life where you have to start loving people. Mm. And, and I love seeing that trajectory. Even if you start as an extrovert, you actually do love people. You know, we're all messed up, but you love them anyway. Like that's a sweet spot. Well, you cover some of that stuff. Well, I think both in uh, unoffendable and in the truth about us, which I'm going to get to in just a second. So let me ask you this. So based on what you said, you know, you can tell you're living a good life. So I was with a group of guys today and we were kind of building accountability on this one guy who's in a new leadership role. Satan would clearly want to take him out. If you talk about that dark side that you would naturally have, you talk about going to Paris and you know all this, all this crazy stuff, what do you have to put around you to protect yourself to not go down that path? 
And clearly Satan would want to take out a guy like you and not to get too overly yeah. spiritual warfare-ish or whatever, but what do you have to set up around you to protect yourself and keep you having those good days and not just be taken out like so many people are on a high profile level? Well, I know I have to communicate deeply with my wife every day. I, don't, I just get despondent. And I think that is so central to me. The other thing is I've learned to ask God to protect me from evil. And I know that's in the, I keep praying the, the Lord's prayer. Sometimes when I don't have anything else to pray or I can't think of anything that comes to mind instantly. And I kind of camp out there sometimes like, please protect me. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I really don't. I mean, even, even with all the career stuff, I don't have a master plan. I just, I feel like I'm tripping through, but God's been faithful the whole way. And so I keep having to turn my attention to him. And I know, again, I know that sounds Christian-y and at a time I wouldn't have said it because it sounds like, well, of course, you know, duh. but I really mean it. Like, who am I listening to is the question. Who am I listening to? Because that determines everything. I don't think it's, I, I, I saw Alex Rodriguez had sent something a couple days ago about, um, you know, you're the, he, that he repeated that thing about you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Amen. And I think there's some truth in that, but I actually think, no, you're the sum total of what you pay attention to. Mm. That's who you're becoming. And God's very interested in who I'm becoming and who you're becoming. Mm. Who am I paying attention to? Even in the garden of Eden, why are you ashamed? Well, because we're naked. Who told you that? Who told you? Like, who were you listening to? So I think that's the, the biggest key for me is to continue arresting my thoughts and turning them back to the fact that God is good, returning to things that I know are true, getting back to things that as a kid, like you hear some songs, you remember some scripture songs, if you're lucky enough to grow up in church, but I keep drawing back on that. And isn't that wild? Like it's, it's, you kind of come full circle. You go through all these complex things in life. Maybe you start with simple, just, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. And that's, that's, I'm back to that. Mm. I have to stay there. So you just referenced, you obviously have a buy-in to John 10 and following the voice of the good shepherd, not a stranger. You obviously alluded to Philippians 4, 8 type of thinking with, you know, putting your mind on what's true, what's pure, right. what's no, right. nowhere, all that kind of stuff. You know, obviously from um, the truth about us, I absolutely love that book. I read that on vacation several weeks back and you clearly have a bind to Romans five, six, and seven. And you know, Paul being a knucklehead and, you know, I don't do what I want to do, all that kind of stuff. I love at the very beginning, I can't remember if it was an introduction or chapter one, where you basically do this little um, letter and at the end, you say, P.S., this is the rest of the story. Like, you can argue if you want type of philosophy of whether we're bad or not, but we are. And here's the yeah. here's what I'm going to tell you about it. So kind of unpack that a little bit. Like, I love your heart in that. And we have sure. to do business with that because, uh, you know, I work with men. And I just find time and time again, we are very self-unaware. Totally. And I, I have to work. To, we, we are as humans. What's fascinating about that. So Jesus says, none of you are good. We spin that a thousand ways. Well, what he really means is that he wants us to do better, but some of us are good. And like, no, that's not what he's saying. He literally like struggle with what he actually said. Have the guts to struggle with what he actually said. You're not a good person. And you can't divide humans up. Good people, bad people. You just can't do it. It doesn't happen. And 
what's fascinating to me is if you if you pay attention to cognitive science now, like cognitive, cognitive psychology, these are Nobel you know prize winning people like Daniel Kahneman or or, or, or these guys. Like they agree with Jesus. Mm. They're not coming at it from a Christian standpoint, but they're like, humans are so shot through with self-righteousness. It's like we are self-righteous machines and we can bend anything in our heads to make it right after we've done it. We are so capable of deluding ourselves. And I remember one, one particular reporter, I think with the Atlantic or somebody was interviewing Kahneman at a coffee shop in Manhattan, or he's just like, well, do you just think humans are just permanently messed up? Is there any hope? And he said, I don't think so. I don't think there is hope. I think we are permanently messed up. Mm. So there's evidence of that. There's, I, I cite like the, the creator, just as an example, the creator of the, the show Westworld, who comes to the same conclusion. He's not a believer. And he comes to this conclusion, like humans just keep making the same selfish mistakes throughout history. And it's never going to stop. Like we are so, he, he calls it a flaw in our code. Like Here's a non-believer who's saying there's something deeply wrong with us and it shouldn't be this way, but this is who we are. Like something's messed up. So I find that fascinating that you've got these people coming at it from a non-believing perspective, but agreeing with Jesus that we've got a problem and only humility is going to solve it. That's it. And that's exactly what Jesus keeps, keeps going on about to try to get it through our thick skulls that we better humble ourselves or we'll be humbled. And so that's what the book is about. I try to make it more fun than that, but that's basically it. I mean, there's so many examples of it and there's so much, there's so much there about realizing who we are. And then the good news about the fact that God still wants us, like he's still going to use us. If we humble ourselves, life's actually a lot more fun too. So that's, I try to get that upside in there. You know, it's interesting about what you're saying. You, you talked in your book a little bit about like, and I'll frame it the way I did in a message years ago. I talked about how one thing I know we're all good at is we're great salesmen. We know how mm-hmm. to sell ourselves whatever we want. And you yes. said something to that effect in the book. And I was thinking about a guy I was talking to recently in a group setting, and he was talking about just test driving this $60,000 car. And you could tell he's like, well, this is a big expense. I'm going to try it. Is it worth it? And he's, he's a great steward. Uh, he's he's mm-hmm. done some deep dive Dave Ramsey stuff over the years and gotten better um, and mm-hmm. generous and whatever. But you could tell you knew where this was going. He's like, yeah, I pretty much convinced myself I need that $60,000 car. I'm like, totally. man, you put totally. that in a big perspective. Like, come on, you do? They all do this. I, they all do this. They know like any good salesman is going to put you in that car. Just sit in here for a little bit. You know, just I'll go back in the office and uh, you just wait in this car for a little. They know that the rationalizing machinery will kick in and we can do anything with our rationalizing mach- machinery. We will rationalize everything. And the the wild part about this too, is I try to unpack some of the studies about this, but just, just the way we'll do this with our own opinions. If I state an opinion out loud, it'll take mountains of evidence for me to retract it. Mountains. If I don't state it out loud, I can turn a lot quicker. But once you hear yourself saying something publicly, you will rationalize all the data from that point on to make it so that you're still right, no matter what. Mm. I mean, that's scary in a time of social media where we're constantly spouting off about stuff like, well, once you've taken that stand, you got to understand the machinery that you've got that will prevent you from saying, you know what? I was wrong. I need to rethink this. We should be able to do that. But how often do you actually see someone do that online? Almost never is someone like, you know what? Now that I see the evidence, I need to rethink 
It just doesn't happen. But if we were humble, we would rethink, and the word for that that's used quite a bit in the New Testament is repent. But it's so rare when, when humans actually humble themselves. Jesus said, if just one of you will repent, he said this twice. He's talking to a group of people. If just one of you will repent, we'll have a big party in heaven. One of you. But if he knows human, the human capacity to not rethink, to rationalize, to not humble ourselves, to not say, you know what, I need to start over and not make myself the center of everything. The wild thing, though, is there's so many benefits from being humble about what we know, how accurate we are, realizing how we can trick ourselves. There's so many benefits from that. It can free you up to actually keep a budget or free you up to actually apologize more often and not live with so much anger, for instance. So Jesus is giving us a way to live that's actually hugely emancipating. So Brent, you just mentioned humility a lot in that soundbite. Let me ask you a question. I, I want to help keep you humble, but do you feel like you have for me? You, you have been music energy, passion for my soul, speaking at a time where it's needed. Do you feel the weight when words come out of your mouth or pages are written that mm. your voice is pretty unique in this time and you have something that the Lord really wants to use in the church, maybe outside the church? Do you feel the weight of that? Um, I feel it in a couple of ways. That's such a good question, man. Um, when I was younger, I saw Dallas Willard speak once. And I really like Dallas Willard. He passed on mm -hmm. eight years ago or so, but he said he prayed not that God would give him a platform, but that God would give him something to say. Mm. And I have prayed that prayer many times. And it turns out I do have this platform and I didn't, if you only knew the story, I won't go into it, but it's not like I was angling for any of this and I'm thankful for it. I do feel the weight of it because I feel I feel the blessing of having one, a single person read and be influenced. And I feel the weight of that person's life. So I want to be a blessing to people and not trip them up. I don't want to cause harm. Mm -hmm. So I do feel the weight of the words that I choose. There's another way I feel the weight which is I think there's a proverb that says there's something like, and I should remember where this is, but it says something like, where words are many, foolishness is not far behind. Mm. And here I am with words. I'm trafficking in words. I'm saying words on the air every day. And then I pump out more words and books. And, and I want it to be a blessing to people. I want God to speak through my words. And I don't want foolish. I don't want to be foolish. But there's a danger when you have to put out so many words. You know? yeah. And uh, so I do feel the weight of it. And I love that question. It's very perceptive. Um, and, and I do think I've got things to say and God keeps giving me more stuff to mm. say. So I'm thankful for that. Amen. Well, if you feel the weight of the people that you speak to and minister to, like myself, I just had like the biggest hamburger you could imagine. So you're probably <laughs> feeling a little weighted down right now because I had a big old burger right before we got on here. So I apologize for that burger. Eight. Well, I'm sure you didn't have the bun. It was all. Uh, yeah, it was very uh, keto friendly. I minus sports. the bun. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so let's flip that and go towards weaknesses. So you have not been shy about having Asperger's and yeah. you really seem to have a passion, which I love this, that our weaknesses are where God shines and God's strength comes through. So why don't you elaborate on why you have such a firm belief that way? Well, doing radio, so the Asperger's, being on the autism spectrum, 
makes me really blunt. I think that's what does it because a lot of us who are on the spectrum, we are blunt and we, there's a lot of things that we'll say that people, I can't believe you said that. Like, why? I don't understand why, why can't we say that? And it's not insulting blunt, but it's just out there. And uh, the weird thing about that and what I've learned about that is it works on the radio. Like you would think, well, if you've got, if you're an introvert and you've got this, you know, you're on the spectrum, you wouldn't be on the radio, but a, you know, the verbal part of my brain is, is strong, I guess on average, but B um, what works on the radio is vulnerability. I mean, that's what works. It's always vulnerability. It's not, I'm awesome. Nobody cares about me being awesome. Like they'll turn that off, but vulnerability in Christian radio is a real win because people are invited in. They feel like they're, they look, we call it the table of misfits. Like we've got a spot here for you. We're keeping a chair open, but this is the, this is the table. That's not the cool table. We're the, we're at the card table on the other side of the room where we're goofing off and we're goofballs, but God loves us anyway. So have a seat. That sort of vulnerability where you're not awesome and you're not cool and you acknowledge your weaknesses. That's what makes you connect to other people. People connect through vulnerabilities. Amen. No doubt. So the being honest with stuff, it's a, it's a weird being blunt, being vulnerable, saying, I don't know necessarily what I'm doing or, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I mean, I'll apologize for stuff on the air. Like, Oh, you're right. I shouldn't have said, that. yeah. Well, you know, if I'm listening to the radio and I hear somebody do that, I'm like, Oh, real person. Like, <laughs> that sounds good to me. So I, again, it wasn't a plan. But it's God using mm. a weakness and making it into something that turns out to be a strength. Now, hopefully people walk away after listening to me on the radio for a long time going, yeah, Brant's okay, but you know what? I got this yearning for God that's really strong now mm. since I listened to the show. Not that impressed with him so much. I like him, he's a friend, but I think that's where vulnerability gets you too. It's like, we're not impressed by me. We are impressed by him and he loves us all. That's gold. That's so good. Well, let me transition. I do this thing called a rapid five. So I'm going to fire five quick questions at you. And I just what jumps out and comes to you right away. Your favorite childhood snack or cereal. What was that? Uh, hands down, Count Chocula with the little vampire guy. Yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking. Wow, that was easy. That was quick. Yeah. So, so oh, your, yeah. your favorite non-Brand Hansen book, biography, leadership book, spiritual formation book, whatever you want to call it, that you most want to gift to other people or have gifted oh. to other people? Gosh, uh, I'm a huge fan of Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. It's not for everybody, but it's not a lengthy book either. Um, that was foundational for me. Yeah, that's that's easy beach reading right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let the good times roll. We're far from it. <laughs> All right. So here it is. This is a big one for me. So I got four kids go on vacation. When we leave the house, you know, driving, let's say 10, 12 hours, you can plan out as best you can where you're stopping for lunch, but it never seems to work right. Or in my case, one of the kids, all of a sudden, 10 minutes before we're going to stop has to go to the bathroom. And it's like, well, if we're going to stop to the bathroom, (laughs) might as well have lunch now. So you're coming up on the exit sign. You got to make a decision for your crew. It's McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, or for the love out to the West coast people in and out burger. Where are you going? Uh, does Chick-fil-A have salads? They, That's what I would ask. They have really good salad. Yeah. That Cobb or they, Chick-fil-A. I just want, I want healthy stuff. I have a very quirky diet. Very, very quirky. And my family kind of does too. My kids are grown up, but we all, 
really like the healthy stuff. Are you still eating toast as much as you did six years ago? I can't. No, no, no. I can't. I had to back off that. That was a real problem. I was eating a loaf every morning of toast, burnt. Well, and you had my, and, you had me there when you said in a video you mentioned Aldi because my wife gets the low carb uh, <laughs> bread from Aldi. So that's where we got it, man. And I had a deep freeze just full of loaves of bread. And I would grab one on the way to work every morning, eat a loaf, a toast a loaf. By 9 a.m., I'd finish it. And then I would go out and run like nine miles a day. And I was like, why aren't I losing any weight? So I realized later on, huh, so carbs, huh? Maybe I should eat some protein. And uh, now I just have one meal, basically one big meal a day at about 1030 in the morning and I'm done. And that's a lot of chicken and some salad. You know, I I really feel for the the folks in Champaign, Illinois, because when you're telling that story, they got to be thinking, man, we did way better in my, at Illinois teaching you than making you think it's okay <laughs> to eat a loaf of bread every day. And, you know, you're not gaining yeah. weight for those carbs. Well, but they created independent thinkers. So they should well, take yeah, real that's pride true. in it. That's true. So what's a trendy item of clothing or a hat or something over the years that, that you would love to have back? What's your first or most treasured item of trendy clothing? Oh, man. I have a, uh, well... No one's going to appreciate this, but I have a couple of t-shirts. One's a Jane Austen t-shirt. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there you go. That's pretty cool for speaking to guys groups. And also um, I have, she just died this week. Beverly Cleary was a children's author and I have a mouse in the motorcycle t-shirt. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I love those like literary references. Um, Again, I wore my uh, mouse in the motorcycle shirt. I think last time I wore it was to a 76ers game. Oh, there you go. Pretty sure it's the only one with the Ralph Mouse shirt. <laughs> what about Ocean Pacific T-shirts or jams or? Uh, you know. Dude, I had I did have parachute pants, and that was after they kind of went out of style. We didn't have a lot of money, you know, with a single mom at the time, and um, so I had to wait till it was on the clearance rack at King's, whatever it was, at the mall. Chess King. Chess King, yes. Yeah, I remember Damn. that. Place. You made me smell the caramel corn when you said chess king. <laughs> you know what's scary? I uh, I was a big Jars of Clay fan back in the day, and they uh, yeah. one of their guitar players, I can't remember which one it was, had a pair of orange capri shorts. So I <laughs> thought I'd be like him. I mean, I'm probably I mean, I'm doing young life. I'm probably like late twenties, early thirties, and I went and bought a pair of those, and I'd wear them. And man, my young life kids would tear me up to shreds. I'll I'll see a kid I haven't seen in ten or fifteen years, and he'll be like, "Hey, do you still got those orange capri shorts?" That's funny. Well, that, that's probably Steve Mason, and he would yes, do that. It was Steve Mason. That's exactly who it was. Yes, Steve is awesome. The last question, is he the one that's the, the barber now? Yes, he is. He's killing yeah. it in Nashville, right, as a barber? I'm sure he is, yeah. He's a brilliant guy, very fun to talk to, and talk about laughing hard. Like, I've never stopped laughing around him. Oh, that's, been great. Around him. that's great. All right, so here's the most important one. Who is your first celebrity crush? That, boy, oh, boy. I can't remember her name. It was, and I can't even remember the show. So this is not going to be helpful at all, but it was like a ABC show circa 1980. And there was this blonde lady and she had this raspy voice. And that's all I remember. I'm going to, I'm going to just say, we'll, we'll, we'll make the answer. Terry Oaks from chips. Okay. Yeah. Let's go with that. Terry Oaks from chips. Sure. We'll go with that. Or uh, the other day I stumbled across, I've, I've discovered this new app uh, cameo. And uh, I noticed on her, John Davidson was on there of all things. So, <laughs> no way. So who, who was the woman on there? Was that, uh, oh, Kathy Lee Crosby, who was on that? Kathy Lee Crosby. Yeah. And then, um, 
No, I'm thinking of real people with Byron Scott or not Byron Scott. Not, no. He's a Laker. He's a Laker. Not that, yeah. Byron yeah. Allen. Byron Allen. Yeah. Yes. Ray Allen. There you um, well, Man, we're we're mixing so, comedy and a basketball I right now. I know. So uh yeah, those those shows were, were big yeah. for me back in the day. Well, if the me. next person to interview you ask that question, say Terry Oaks from Chips. Okay, there you go. Good. Thank I'll, you. I'll, I'll choose that answer for you. You don't even have to give me credit for that one. So, thank you. <laughs> so you you mentioned marriage, and I know you you uh, have sang the praises of your wife. Is it? Why am I blanking on her name all of a sudden? Carolyn. Carolyn. That's, that's what I want to say. Okay, so Carolyn. So what's it like being married to Brand Hanson? What would she say it's like being married to you? I think I'm going to be really honest here, for good and bad. Okay, like so I'm not going to be like faux modest or something. I think she'd say. She's very, very happy she married me. She never has to worry about me when I'm not around or something. Like, she's never had to worry about that. She says I'm the smartest man she knows. She builds me. But see, that's kind of the point. It's really all of this. When I say that kind of stuff, it's really a tribute to her. Because she thinks I'm handsome and smart. And she has built me up for 30 years. And that's a credit to her to think that even, mm. even if she, if she doesn't think it and she says it, that's really sweet, you know, that she's, but I think she really is that way. And I can't tell you how wonderful that is. I wouldn't be able to function without that, without oh. her building me up constantly. So as far as being married to me, I'd say it's challenging for her. I'm not good with eye contact. There's some things that are missing I think in my personality, uh, I don't pick up on subtleties. I don't know how to flirt, not only with other people, but I, I have a, I don't know how to flirt with her. Like, so I'm just very blunt, but so she, she loves that. She wouldn't change it, but I do think that's, that's a challenge. And there's an intensity to our marriage, even after 30 years that, uh, you know, it's a daily thing. Mm. She's very smart man, she's, she's an intellect and a brilliant teacher. Mm. So she homeschooled both our kids all the way up. And I think, I think she'd say it's a real challenge and she wouldn't want to do it any way different. And she couldn't imagine being married to somebody else. So I think there's a lot of good stuff there that she would say, <laughs> which is good. There is a lot of honor there. I expect it to be a, a little bit more humor. There's, I like the honor that you, I can tell is there for both of you and what you just answered. That's a really cool response. So you mentioned homeschooling because my wife homeschools and I was thinking about my 18 year old son when I was going to interview you today. I'd love, love for you to spend an hour with him. So let's say instead of a commencement speaker, my son goes to lunch with you at 18 years old for an hour. What do you invest in him in that hour? I would want to ask him a lot of questions and see where it goes. It's difficult for me to just offload wisdom or something that I think I have on somebody if I don't know him yet. Mm -hmm. But if I could get a handle on it and then see where he's going with his answers. I'd be very interested in that. And I really enjoy that too. And I think most people enjoy answering questions too, if they're deep about themselves. Like, so that that's probably what would happen ultimately. And I just finished this book writing about manhood too. Like if, if I was, if I was forced to do something didactic or tell him, you know, here's what's up, man, I would remind him that you are given a specific role as a man. You are a keeper of the garden. Mm. You are, you are to protect you are to rescue the vulnerable. You are to honor. And if you never make a woman feel threatened or a child feel threatened, no one innocent should feel threatened around you 
they should only feel more protected. And your neighborhood should be better because you're in it, should be more safe. A lot of people see an 18 year old guy walking around, they're like, okay, other side of the street or something. But actually, whether they realize it or not, they should be like, you're looking out, you're, you're scanning the street for threats to other people and you're gonna be willing to act. Like if you do that, you will find ways with your career to do that, to protect the vulnerable. You do that in your own family. Your wife's gonna be very happy to be married to you. As a side issue, I would tell young guys, this is not the reason to do this. The reason to do this, because that's what you're made for, but women recognize this, what you're made for, and they find it very attractive when you do this. Mm. You're gonna be more attractive than you would be otherwise. And women resent deep down men who don't do that. Even if they're good looking, strong, all that sort of stuff, they got everything going for them, but ultimately they make people feel insecure. Women feel insecure, children feel insecure. Um, they're resented. And they, women don't find that attractive at all. And I think the biggest battle, one more thing I would tell this 18 year old, the biggest battle is against passivity. Like mm. a lot of guys are just checking out with video games and porn and not actually not engaging. And we, that's not okay. You can say, well, I'm not bothering anybody else. Yes, you are because we needed you out here <sighs> and you didn't show up. We needed you. Now that, that thing that could have happened did not happen. That person that could have been protected did not get protected. And you just said, well, it doesn't matter. No, no, no. You're made for a reason. We needed you out here. There's no such thing as private sin. We all affect each other. So, you know, engage. So that's what I would tell like most 18 year olds. Yours is probably, you know, cause he's got you for a dad. He's probably thought about a lot of this, a lot of this stuff, but I just underscored, I guess, as a, another guy. No, you know, the image that keeps coming to my mind as you're talking is the GPS is I was a mile away from here. I thought I turned down a wrong road. I had to get the GPS out and I just got the rerouted signal go up on, on my radar for what you just said. <laughs> seriously. No, seriously, you did. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spending a good chunk of my day tomorrow with my middle son who's going to be getting his license, hopefully, or, or for my mm. insurance sake, maybe he fails. But um, either way, the GPS system just got rerouted. So, Brant, you just invested in me big time right there. So, I good. Really, I good. Really, Thanks, man. No, I appreciate well, that big time. So, there's something about saying that. I mean, we all kind of know it, but they're saying it to recalibrate. Like, wait a second. This is what we're here for. We're not superior to women at all. Mm -hmm. But we have a distinct role and we all kind of know it. Women and men both kind of distinctly know, instinctly know that a, a man is at his best when he's protecting the weak. We, we know it. Yeah. Anytime a news story, I'll show guys, I've, I've, I've done this a couple of times now, I'll show guys just series of pictures. And I've done this with, uh, actually, I've done it with co-ed groups, like in high school, a lot. I've done this. Well, series, this, this series of pictures will be just guys rescuing people. Like one's going down into a canal that somebody's drowning or pulling out a child, you know, and others, here's two guys at another flood. They're getting somebody, here's a, here's a soldier in China who's rescuing this old woman from this village after an earthquake. Here's, and there's nothing about these guys that is like, they're all good looking, not nothing. No, these are average guys. Some, some not fit at all, you know, not handsome, not, not close to being a model. They're normal guys. These are real pictures. And I ask after I show all these pictures, I was just like, Oh, as an aside, um, I, we were just talking about rescuing and that sort of stuff. And I showed you these pictures. I want the ladies in the, in the audience here to answer, are those guys attractive? Mm. There's a universal instant. Yes. From all the women and girls. Wow. 
I'm like, guys, I wanted, I asked that question because I want you to remember that. Mm-hmm. Like they instinctively know that there's so something deeply right. The number one selling poster, I think of all time is from 1987 and they had it in the dorms or they had it in the, in the ladies house across the street from the house I was in the, at the university of Illinois, almost every room that the girls had had this poster and it's this poster from France. It's of a guy who doesn't have a shirt on holding this baby. And he's not totally massively muscular. I'm sure he's a cute guy, but you can't really even see much of his face or his body. It's from the side and it's black and white. And he's just holding this baby and the baby's looking at him. And I asked, I asked the girl who was giving us a tour of the place, like what's up with this poster? And I said, what is it? Cause he's so hot or something. Is that it? She's like, no, it's the way the baby's looking at him. Mm. The Drop. baby's looking at him. Like you're my protector. Mic and women are, yeah. Women are throwing these posters up as fast as they can. You can find it online again. I forget what the name of it is. It's a French thing, but it's, it's so 5 million. So can't tell like people know it. They recognize it. So I'm really glad to be able to underscore that for guys to help, mm-hmm. help recalibrate because we need to. Well, last question, we're gonna have to carry on at some other point. I still got some stuff I'd love to ask you, but for time's sake, I want to keep it short for you. If you interviewed yourself, Brant, what question has to be asked? Oh gosh, that's a good one. Um, and I should have a good answer for that. What question has to be asked? Do you know what you're doing? And my answer would be, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a plan. I, I know that scares people because you're supposed to be this visionary and stuff, but God's been so faithful to me that whatever, like, I can't point back and go, I had this big plan. I'm just following the next thing. And I think he's really faithful with that. I, I know he is. I, I, I don't think that I know it. So I, I would actually encourage people to just be faithful. What's in front of them today, like neighbors today, people who are coming across their path today. Cause I think we get caught up a lot of times in the big future or whatever, but it's, being faithful with what we have right now. And then God, please bless this. And in my case, there's no doubt he has, I don't know what I'm doing and um, I'm okay with that. You know, Brant, you know, what I love is I mentioned at the beginning that I love how real honest and raw you are. You're also very confident. I love the things that you say <laughs> that are Thanks. simple and the things in Christ that are you, you are confident in. And, and I've become a big believer in the last 13, 14 years since I've been doing what I'm doing, that there are people who I may never actually see face-to-face across a room from each other. And you fit into this category, but you've invested me. So thank you for your, through books, through this conversation, through a Facebook post, whatever, for your investment, making me better, whatever I am, due to things like what you're sharing here today. So I really appreciate the time and uh, look forward to more dialogue, Bram. My pleasure, man. God bless you. And uh, thanks for being such an encourager. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Shine FM Podcast Network.